to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. It's a momentous occasion. I have good news and bad news. The good news is, well, I have I have twin sons. And back when they were 8, 9, 10 years old, I wanted very badly to start a podcast in which we would discuss every week they would bring something to the table that they're into or they know about that my being an old man wasn't into and I would sort of a, an exchange of ideas a, a cultural exchange and I would I would do the same for them something that was before their time or you know so like they would explain pokemon to me and I would explain why jaws is a masterpiece or something you know like that and it never came to pass Years passed. Today, my guests are Brandon and Logan, my twin sons, who are now 17. I'm finally making the dream come true. The bad news is they had to watch The Executioner Part 2. I waited and waited and waited to have them on the show, thinking there'll be a perfect movie. A perfect movie will come along. And because of the random nature of the show, I realized that perfect movie will never, perhaps, appear. So, this is what they got stuck watching. Hello, oh, but... Hello, Brandon. Yeah, you did get a perfect movie. This movie is perfect. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't have any flaws to it. There's no flaws. Okay, and hello, Logan. It's funny. <laughs> we, um... I can tell their voices apart. Hopefully everyone else can as well. You're gonna have to figure it out. Um, so one thing that I wanted to drop as a bomb at the beginning of the show and shock these children, um, but it wound up they wound up finding out about it because when I when I saw oh Executioner Part Two that's my movie for this week should I watch the Executioner Part One? But because of the random nature of the show, I thought no, you know what? It's actually kind of funnier and cooler if I don't watch Part One. But out of curiosity, I did a little research and discovered that movie doesn't exist. There is no Executioner Part 1. They made this film on its own and called it The Executioner Part 2. Like Leonard Part 6. I don't... It's it's a fascinating <laughs> idea. I don't know. So that's your first sign that we're in for a real treat with this movie. Uh, it's from 1984. Four. <clears throat> and you hear a lot of people talk about like oh back in the you know movies are crap now and back in the day the you know 1984 is the year of Ghostbusters and Gremlins and Return of the Jedi and 
yes, that's true. But for every one of those films, there was 10 or 15 movies like this. Because there wasn't a direct-to-video market yet. Anything that came out came out in the theaters. So this played in the theaters. So there was a lot more of this than there was of the things you love about 1984. So, um, and this is pure exploitative garbage, yes? Yeah, this is... Yeah, there's not a whole lot of substance to be found. <laughs> or subtlety. <laughs> no, well, for the the entire movie is dubbed for no yeah. apparent reason. It's not a foreign film. It was filmed in Los Angeles, California, which is very evident when the movie begins and says Vietnam 1970. <laughs> I didn't... They're not in Vietnam. <laughs> no, it's very clearly California. Like, it's not a jungle, it's, like, oak trees and, like... <laughs> the worst waterfall ever. Yeah, it couldn't be more California. It's, like, the lamest river I've ever seen. Yeah, they're like, oh, we need to make sure this guy doesn't drown, and then he, like, falls down, like, half a foot. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there's... So it's a it's revealed to be a, it's a flashback that our two main characters have had from their Vietnam experience. We will never see a Viet Cong soldier... No, yeah, you don't see who they're fighting. And it's never really super obvious who it was that was in the war. And I don't know that finding out the detective was in the war later is supposed to be a twist or if we were supposed to know that from the beginning. <laughs> Which also, I never remember seeing like the main executioner guy's face during that war flashback. So I just had to assume based on him having flashbacks later on. Was the executioner the guy that had PSYCHO written on his helmet in all caps? That might have been the case. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah, well, my my guess is, because this film was filmed exclusively on weekends because rental renting equipment was cheaper then. Yeah, I read that. Which makes sense. Um, <laughs> my guess is that this was added later and they couldn't get the regular actors back. Because, yeah, I don't know if the actors in this flashback are the actors. Or if it's supposed to be like, oh, it's the younger version, so we'll just get completely different actors. I think, like I think they, they did show the detective guy being the person well, who died like... later on. And I assume he looked like that in the original flash. Well, they filmed this whole flashback section. And then at the beginning of the movie, they show us all of the footage they recorded for that. And then later splice back to it instead of just splicing back to it normally like they should. I think O'Malley was the detective's name. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to Roger O'Malley. But, um, Raj. Yeah, we never see any, we never see who's shooting at them. They're just being shot at from the trees or something, which I suppose is good because given the era and the cheapness of this movie, it probably would have been a truly horrific. Asian stereotype that we got. So it's got, maybe it's good news that I they think couldn't it find been, a single Vietnamese actor. I think it would have been funnier if we saw some racist caricatures. Like in Mothra. Mothra has tons of blackface in it. I noticed. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I haven't watched Mothra in a while. Um, yeah, and these guys are throw, clearly throwing themselves. Anytime they're shot or like, yeah, they're climbing on rocks and, oh, I slipped, but they're like launching themselves backwards in the most obvious <laughs> you're fashion. In a, you're in a pond, bro. Come on. <laughs> Just get it's, up. Because <laughs> they didn't really need to show us the details of that footage, and they probably shouldn't have, considering how just poorly done it is. You could have just Like, not. just splice back to it whenever they have a flashback, and that's all you really need to do. 
And it goes on forever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like five straight minutes of... And there's... There's Huey's coming in and dropping off one guy at a time and then leaving. Like, instead of, yeah, like, a chopper coming in, like, the new squadron's here to back us up. They drop off one guy and then leave. And then a couple minutes later, come back and drop off and the one pilot, more guy. The pilot is in, like, a normal t-shirt and shorts. That's just one guy they hired to be a helicopter pilot. They didn't even get him dressed. Like, the cool ball <laughs> helicopter. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not an expert on the, the clothing <laughs> regimen of the Vietnam War. Maybe the helicopter pilots really could wear shorts, but it's definitely stands out. Um, yeah, so it's this whole flashback, and then we cut to a crime scene where there is a reporter. This is Celia something is her last name, who's also the screenwriter of the movie. Could you imagine in your wildest dreams that this movie was written by a woman? <sighs> no. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Um, and she sounds like this is a reference that we lost on on you guys and probably some of the younger viewers. But she sounds like Doctor Ruth. Why a reporter, a television reporter in the city of Los Angeles, sounds like a German? I don't know, but, but people who know who Doctor Ruth is know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to try to do an impersonation, but her <laughs> accent is ludicrous. The accent for a reporter in Los Angeles. The accent is weird. Like, that might just be her real accent, but it's just, it's so noticeable. I don't know why she's doing that. I'm sure it is her actual accent, but, and again, everyone is dubbed. They have ADR'd all of the dialogue, which I'm assuming just meant they, did, they didn't have, they either had no boom mics when they filmed it, or the sound was always bad, so they had to go in and re-record it. But I, I can't tell if you can barely tell it's ADR'd, or absolutely can, because it doesn't, they didn't, like, fix the voices or anything it feels like if they just recorded it from far away they probably got better performances yeah they didn't do it to improve the performances so it must have been a sound quality issue because the performances are uniformly i mean it sounds like someone reading off of a piece of paper like you yeah, just it's... handed them the script 10 minutes ago and they're reading off of it into the camera um yeah and our detective roger O'Malley. Roger O'Malley is there um, examining the the newest the body of the newest victim of the executioner who we hear through a news report. And the reporters seem all for him. He's basically a Punisher-type character who's going around vigilante-style killing criminals and the cops aren't getting the job done, so good for him. Which it seems yeah, to be the right. consensus. <laughs> like, that's good. Why is that bad? <laughs> His telltale signs are literally any kind of murder. Or a grenade in their clothes. Well, and that's going to become a big factor later when we get into the idea of who is the executioner. Because, um, yeah, we'll hear, and, and the news is, is up on his M.O. Then we cut to, there's a group of punks, and you can tell they're punks because they all have bandanas either around their neck or around their head. Every one of them. Yeah, one of them had it on their leg. Yeah, but there is a bandana somewhere on their person is the point. And um, again, all white guys. I don't think there's a person of color in this film. Which, oh, no. Again, is, I, was, I was paying attention. There's not a single person that's not white in this movie. But again, it's probably a good thing. Because oh, yeah. I cannot imagine. Considering what the white people in this movie sound like, yeah, I don't, don't even want to think about what a black character in this movie would sound like. Yeah, we don't need that. No. The the punks when they're when they're up there they're trying to rape that girl and the guy goes you better get ready for the king 
like, yeah, it's Which is so weird. well, and immediately I'm like, oh god, are we are we five minutes into this movie and we're gonna have a rape scene already? And then they they don't. They dangle this poor woman off the roof, and I think, <laughs> oh, what? they're just gonna throw her off the roof. I guess that's better. I mean, as a viewer, I'd rather see that. That but then they funny, don't. Yeah. They did that just to scare her, and then they pull no. her back on the roof <laughs> and attempt a rape. Because the rape isn't scary enough, I guess. And it's the it's the slowest cutting of a woman's shirt I've ever seen. Do like, better. I don't think it's that hard. <laughs> well, and there's a real thing in this movie about the tearing. It's and so or, weird. It's such a power dynamic <laughs> thing of any attempted. He's always ripping the shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's like the gang's credo or something. Like, we're going to rip the shirt. Like, we can't just take it off. We're going to rip it. We're going to cut it. And it's gross and weird. <laughs> the lady's always like, oh, baby, yeah, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> He's just breaking your shirt. I don't know what... <laughs> it feels like, for some reason, despite being rated R, that they couldn't figure out a way to show nudity. Like, they were like, we can't show nudity. Or the actresses didn't want to, so how else do we show that they're being, like, attacked? And it's by ripping their shirts, I guess. Well, and it was actually stunning to me that there isn't, until the very end, for just... A quick second. There is no nudity in this movie. For this kind of movie, this kind of era, this budget, this level of it's already so exploitative, the fact that there isn't constant nudity in this movie yeah, and is the, shocking to me. I thought they weren't going to do it at all because they were so clearly almost doing it and then not doing it. So when they just did it at the end, it was like, what? <laughs> You're almost doing it. Why didn't you just do it the whole time? If you're gonna, if you're like treating the women in the movie like this, why not just go all the way through with it? It makes like I don't understand. Yeah, it's a weird. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad it went that way because I mean, yeah. these, these women already have to live with the fact that they're in this movie, let alone that they showed their breasts in this movie. Well, most of the people in this movie are only in movies by this director. I noticed. That's true. That's true. Um... Yeah, this woman who is being assaulted is wearing pantyhose under a swimsuit, which is a choice, I guess. I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I noticed is when they were holding her off the roof, they would make sure her skirt didn't fall. Which is <laughs> and like, they were holding her skirt what, up. <laughs> what are you guys doing here? They're very conscientious um, when playing to the camera. It feels like that actress didn't want to show anything. So they had to like, oh, hold my skirt the up. least convincing rape scene, sort of. Well, I mean, which is good for her, but <laughs> it's just such a weird, like, pantyhose under her swimsuit. I mean, I guess if you're walking around in only a swimsuit and that's your outfit for the day, maybe pantyhose are a, a necessary thing. But um, I think they're more there just so that the guy could take them off and put them on his head. Yeah, which is bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's not? Um... There's an old couple downstairs who yeah, are... Old, somebody's got to stop it. Somebody's got to stop it. Who are hearing this assault going on on the roof. And the old man's like, I'm going to go up there. He's got a metal pipe. I'm going to go up there and do something. This old lady's like, no, don't go up there. You'd think after like 70 years of stair climbing, you would have figured it out by now. But <laughs> I don't know how to go up. She she like touches his leg and he's like, I don't know how to go up anymore. Like, yeah, he's completely <laughs> held in her thrall. Um, and now we get our first look at the executioner who barrels up the stairs past and this old couple. 
It's a guy. He's got a he's has a camouflage bin, um, sort of bandana hanging down over his face. He kind of looks like Grifter, the old comic book character. That's generous. Well, yeah, like dollar store <laughs> Grifter, but that makes um, Grifter look bad. <laughs> and he's all yeah, all in fatigues, and he. I don't really recall how he takes out two of the guys. Does he just like punch? He one pistol guy? whips them. He yeah. He, he has, has a gun, but he just whacks him on the back with it. And he, that's a theme throughout the whole movie. Yes. <laughs> this guy only shoots his gun in one scene, and he and doesn't hit anybody. He also has a camouflage hat, which is important. Because he wears it in the next scene. The, next, the scene where you him. see him as a real person, he's wearing the same hat, and that's how you're supposed to know it's the same guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. no, I didn't even catch that, because a big question for me in this entire movie, or by the end, was it seemed to me like they were setting up that Mike the Mechanic has gone off and done his own vigilante thing that's completely separate from the Executioner and is now being falsely accused of being the Executioner. And surprise, surprise... He is the executioner. I did not even notice the hat and noted, realized that they were signaling from the beginning that, yes, he is the executioner, and it's obvious. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird decision because this movie doesn't tell you anything. It's subtle symbolism. It isn't really. <laughs> There's no symbolism. There's no metaphor. It's, but, which makes it even stranger, the fact that, and we'll get to it later, when he goes off and does his own vigilante thing that he winds up he getting sort of caught like, for, he doesn't, he doesn't dress like the executioner. That's why I was confused. Yeah. That's why I thought, oh, it's a separate thing and he's being you falsely You thought accused. it was going to do something cooler, but no, they're just dumb. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was some sort of storytelling where he has now been falsely accused of being the executioner because of this separate thing that he did. But no, he just got sloppy and showed his face. <laughs> just like, I thought they might do a thing where both he and O'Malley are are both the executioner somehow, and like they're working together. Nope. But that would be a lot more interesting than anything they had planned. That would be cool, especially if it's executioner part two. In part one, you had one executioner, and oh right, there was no part one. Yeah. Like that would be a way to up the up the ante, but <clears throat> so. Yeah, so okay, so I guess he pistol whips two of these guys, and then he puts a live grenade in the other guy's mask, pantyhose mask that he's wearing, and we have a kaboom, not a kaboom where we see a body explode or even an explosion on this room, no, it's just a cut into a stock, stock image. Which we see three times. Yes. That's the first of three times we see the exact boom effect. Oh, man. So... Yeah, so now we've seen the executioner at work. We hear a, a radio reporter describing his M.O. He says he either shoots them, cuts them with glass, or places <laughs> live grenades in their clothes, unquote. <laughs> Only one of those things you ever actually see happen. Yes. Well, we he's assume never, he's been around for a bit. He's never, he's never but, used his glass. <laughs> which added more to my confusion, he because does. later, when Mike the Mechanic is he does. just... Killing people on his own, he doesn't do any of these things. He does kill a man with a broken bottle. So there's your glass. Yeah, I forgot kind about of. that. But That's he does not shoot them. He does not blow them up with grenades. He shoots. He shoots in return at Big Dan or whatever his name is. But you could barely like, unless they they didn't if they didn't play the sounds, you wouldn't be able to tell they were shooting. They just like. They pointed at each other, and then they don't show any bullets fly or anything because they didn't want to do that. Well, let's talk about the sounds. <laughs> the sounds of the, the hand-to-hand punches. combat There's in only this one. film make 
like, 60s kung fu movies seem like the top of the line. Like, it's like... There's, I can't even do it. Like, they bought <laughs> one punch sound effect, and everyone goes, at <laughs> most two. Because I think I heard a little le- lighter sounding one at some point. But it's not good. I, I have the sound effects written. I wrote, <laughs> like I wrote that down. I don't know why. Well, and in the fight coming up, there's like really great. Um, <laughs> before we get to that. But yeah, so the, the reporters and every, the city seems to know this guy's M.O. really well. Somehow. I don't know how you would know. I mean, I guess unless there were eyewitnesses at some point. I don't know how you would know that he's blowing these people up specifically by sticking grenades in their clothes. It's such a specific... It's not just, yeah. or he blows them up. It's he puts live grenades in their clothes. It's as if the people writing the uh, news report wrote the movie. Because <laughs> well. it's convenient. <laughs> sort of, they kind of did. <laughs> um, now we meet Casalis, who is known as the Tattoo Man, which I'm, in my head, I don't know about you, I'm picturing at some point he'll take his shirt off and this man is covered in... He's got like a Yakuza tattoo on his back or something. Yeah, covered in (laughs) tattoos. Again, a white guy. But, no, he has like one little tattoo on his shoulder, one sort of on the back of his wrist, and one on his other arm. And they're not like menacing tattoos. Yeah, it's like a heart. It's like a heart that says mom or something. (laughs) By tattoo, they mean the cigarette burns he puts on the women. That's what I would like to think. He leaves the tattoos, is is what they're saying, I think. He's leaving scars on the women he's with. Oh, yeah, that could be. But considering, I don't think those were that guy's real tattoos. They probably might have meant just that his tattoos. Those lame tattoos. And I am pretending it's more interesting. But who knows? And the Casales is worried about the election. They right. never say w- who's being elected into what position. They also never resolve what is the election. And yeah, and that plot line never goes anywhere. We never find out who they, gets elected. Like half an hour into the movie, the election plot line goes away. You never hear about it again. It's just so we can give something the suits to talk about, I guess. Yeah, because we'll have some scenes of of Casales and the um, other guy. sort of, I guess, the manager of whoever this candidate we never find out about is who has links to Casales, and he's like, you got to lay low because you're messing things up for my candidate who has to keep it squeaky clean, so stay on the DL, and he won't, he can't do it. Um, and yeah, Casales is being driven around in a in a limo, and he's ordering his guy to, like, get him more girls. I've run out of girls. And he's like, nobody will give you any more girls because you keep hurting them. <laughs> you're not a good dude. It's just crazy because near the end, he's got, like, five girls, and only one of them is the one he just got. He's not losing that many girls. Um. Yeah. So now we're we're at the garage with Roger O'Malley and Mike the mechanic, who are the war buddies apparently from the beginning <laughs> flashback, and some punks are out stealing. Uh, <laughs> they're yeah. doing something. <laughs> they're doing something no, to they, his car. <laughs> they lifted his car up and they're just taking his tires. What are they doing? Tires? I guess that's true. Well, and the car battery the guy takes out, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, which is a, used as a weapon in, like, three scenes for some reason. Yeah, so Mike and Roger... There's some punks out there! ...run out to get the punks, and it's a long fist fight. And it's... There's no window in their garage. Like, I don't know how he saw that. I like, think they were standing in the open bay oh, with the door They never open. showed that. They didn't pan over there. They just... He, was, like, looks this way, and he grabs his weapon, and he, like... 
just, he's like, I'll get those punks out there. I see them. <laughs> Someone's got to say how homoerotic this fight scene is. It's the gayest brawl over tires you'll ever see. <laughs> I They're don't understand. Just... Well, I mean, it doesn't help that everybody's got like a gay porn star mustache and, <laughs> and it's going, ooh, and just wearing leather on their pants and, and bandanas, yeah, and sleeveless jackets, and then going, ooh, when they get hit. <laughs> well, yeah, the, when the guy gets hit in the back, one guy takes the car battery out of the car and is going to throw it at um, O'Malley, and it, he spins his the other punk around, and the punk gets hit in the back with this battery that is lightly tossed, and the He's like, oh, like, yeah, the noise he makes when he's hit with this I, car battery. I think right after that is when I wrote Gay Brawl. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lot. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah, good on them. <laughs> oh, no, this movie should be gayer. Yeah, There I would wish... be less women being assaulted. There would be yeah, Mike something and, to hold Mike on Mike and to. O'Malley should have more romantic tension, I think. It would be more interesting as a rival scenario. Yeah. Enemies to lovers, fr- friends, enemies, lovers, you know? So this fight happens, they run the punks off. Um, now we see a schoolgirl of some sort who doesn't seem terribly important to start with, but winds up being That important. math test sure was the pits. It was dumb. It was dumb. That's what they say. That's what they say. <laughs> she just goes, it was dumb. Um, yeah, she's wearing another bandana, and she's meeting with... <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> she walks away from school and meets up with the drug dealer, Vance. Oh, that me old Pete Vance. <laughs> there's a drug dealer and a pimp and she's like you know oh you got no i don't have any money but please give me drugs give me <laughs> which dope. is not how not how drug deals she's, work also she's is she addicted to weed yeah because like she asked saying, for dope she's only ever seen smoking weed which yeah. is has has been called dope i think now dope is more seen as heroin but Oh, it's no, not. I think dope is still dope weed. Dope is still weed. But okay. whatever. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, 17-year-old. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so she's desperate. She's Jones and she wants, which if it is just weed, but, it's ridiculous. And then later in the clip you played, she mentions Coke. Like, I, oh, Kitty I, does. Yeah, Kitty's like, oh, I wish this was Coke. Oh, sweet Coke. And oh, then, her friend wants Coke. She, oh, does, okay. she seems more The other girl just, just kind of laughs at her. She's like, ha, ha, well, they, they laugh a Laura, lot. Everything. <laughs> no, Laura just kind of laughs. Kitty Laura, laughs. Yeah, everything. Laura is her name. That's um, the main girl. Who we'll find out is, eventually, sort of circumstantially, is Roger O'Malley's daughter. Yeah. He loves me. And he's got, he's got this, maybe I'm just young, but he's got the phone, and then he's got a little <laughs> holder for the phone, so he can button up his shirt while he's on the phone, and he's just got this little, like... <laughs> holder that he puts on his shoulder is i don't know normal, if that's weird or is to, that weird to me uh no office phones would have that sometimes if you're going to be on the phone a lot or for a long time that so you would have it sort of a cradle attached to the phone uh handpiece so that it, you could set it on your shoulder and yeah that was a thing a thing well i guess we weren't even on this yet but a thing about every phone call in this movie is it feels like they didn't write both sides of the phone call at the same time because what the other person says never seems to relate to it, what the other person said. It cuts to Roger, and he's like, hello? Oh, I love you. And then, like, ten seconds later, it cuts back to Laura, and she's like, he loves me. And she does a little spin in the kitchen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they weren't talking to each other, were they? I don't understand. <laughs> and there's a scene later where Laura is trying to get a hold of Kitty, 
And she is, as far as we can tell, right. speaking to Kitty on the phone. But it's just random. But we do a quick cut to, it's not Kitty on the phone, it's Vance on the phone. I don't think it's... And then it cuts back to Laura talking on the phone as if she's talking to Kitty. I don't think she's supposed to be talking to Vance. I think they just don't know how to make a movie, I think I guess. I at know. one point she was talking to her boyfriend or whatever, Ben, who we never see. Apparently she And she's like, oh, please, please. Be with me, be with me. No, that's referring to Kitty. Really? Kitty, yeah, she wants Kitty to go with her. I thought she was. A, being a I thought she was on the phone with that Ben, because they only like, mentioned Ben. They, yeah, because they mentioned that he's she's with a guy named Ben, and they haven't like she hasn't lost her virginity to him yet. I guess, which is the I guess the only reason they bring him up in the first place is to bring up they the all, fact that she's a virgin. I think it's also to. Um, Make it so that her wanting weed isn't just entirely selfish because she also wants to get some for her boyfriend, Ben, that we're not going to hear about again, I guess. <laughs> We've never seen Maybe. I'd like to think it has more purpose. Yeah, that's true. I forgot he even existed yeah. until you mentioned <laughs> well, it just they now. they mentioned him once. And, um, yeah, her being a virgin will be super important I guess. later on. Um, the... Uh, but yeah, he's like, no dice. I'm not giving you any free dope. Um, you should try being a prostitute. And she's like, nah, I'm not into that. And he's like, well, that's a good way to make money. Peace out. And she's like, oh, I'd rather not be sex trafficked. And he's like, come on. Come on, come on, come on. I guess I mean, it pays the bills in that case. I don't know. Um, we have... Yeah, at at this bar where there it's not a strip bar, but there is a woman on stage doing some sort of a fully clothed. <laughs> yeah, we needed to talk dance. about that. Every time they go to this bar, everyone's sitting normally except one woman who's just like barely. I don't know if she's supposed to be stripping or she's just performing, but she's. I think she's trying to look sexy, but I don't know. It's no. not. <laughs> it must be a dance club of some sort because she at one point asks Dan. No. Celia asks oh, yeah, that's O'Malley, want to go for a dance? And then they don't. No, because he says, oh, let's wait for her to get done. <laughs> oh, it's a dance club where you have to take turns. Yeah, but it's always her up there. <laughs> so it's like a karaoke bar, but for dancing. Instead of getting up and singing in front of a whole room, one person gets up, you take turns. Well, we only receive this one woman dancing. But yeah, it's not stripping whatsoever. But she's just like, and everybody's looking at her like... I guess this is like, the entertainment in this bar. Good job, girl, I guess. Like, they're just you, like, you. Good for her. They look entertained. <laughs> but, uh, so Casalis is there meeting with the police commissioner who's in cahoots with him and the guy who's in charge of this candidate and they're trying to get him to, like, mellow out um, until this candidate gets pushed through or whatever. But they're, they're, they make it sound like the, the election's not going well for this guy. So... Casalis, I don't know how much worse he's making it, but like, how is he related to the guy? We never see the guy who's being elected, so we don't understand how Casalis's actions are affecting him. It yeah, all he does is deal drugs. He doesn't pull like political ties or no. Anything. He's the he gets women and then he yeah he's the tattoo man pimp. But then like, he doesn't really do any like political stuff. So it's like I guess. Like, I think he... the idea is that this candidate would be sort of their inside man. Like, he's more of a friendly to the criminal types or is in cahoots with them as well. And so he would be sort of their inside man 
in the government. You already have the police commissioner on your side, so I don't know. Do they? The police commissioner's on their side? Well, he's meeting at the bar with Casales and this candidate's guy. Was the police commissioner the loud guy who was like, we gotta get that executioner? Was he that guy? Yeah, yeah. that's the commissioner. He was but, he, but he seems to be like, he wants to get the executioner not because it's a law and order thing, but because the executioner is killing Casales' guys. So he's kind of on Casales' side. Whenever he was talking to O'Malley about it, he was like, they're making a fool of us. He's stopping crying better than we are. It's like, good. Which, yeah, good. What are you in the force for? <laughs> he's killing rapists. I don't see the problem. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess. Um, we can discuss the merits and flaws of, of vigilante justice another time, but for the purposes <laughs> of this movie. So the punks are back. They have rambunctious push play. Like, they're just... With, they're not, they're like, fighting jumping. each other in the street, but they're, like, running up to each other and, like, jumping on each other. Climbing and, like, stuff. Yeah, climbing stuff, climbing each other, running up and, like, like tapping each other, like ah, I got you. Like it's almost like they're playing real grab ass all over the street. Yeah, I don't want to just make this point again, but it's very gay. There <laughs> a bit. Well, there's a girl in this. Yeah, there's some girls. Of the gang. Afterwards, the girls come in after all the. Well, there's one no, girl in the gang because he's like climbing up on the light pole and she like pulls him down or whatever. Yeah, that's true. But they see an old, um, lady <laughs> right. out of the a, garbage who has a cart full of. Not like cans or recycling. It's just like garbage. It's literally, it's cardboard and styrofoam garbage. Yeah, and her purse. That's because purse snatching. And when they see her, she's eating out of the garbage. Yeah, she sticks her hand in the garbage can, and then she puts it in her mouth. And she's eating. She, she, I don't, why is she eating garbage? Well, is she homeless? Yeah, I assume, I think <laughs> the assumption... Anytime you see an old lady pushing a cart of garbage around yeah, is that this is a homeless lady. <laughs> yeah, and her face is dirty. Yeah. So they run, they want to snatch her purse and tip over her cart full of garbage, which <laughs> she seems very upset about, but it's... Oh, why are you doing that? My baby. Well, yeah, really <laughs> really what she cares about is... Because she only has a dollar in her purse, which they're mad about. One dollar. But the, really the only thing she wants is there's a picture of her daughter... Which they crumple up for no reason. Why'd you rip it? Because they're punks, man. <laughs> they're, 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 they're bad. They're street toughs. Um, and then they go and invade a convenience store. Right. Which is really funny. What are they doing? Like, I don't understand what they did to them. Well, they grab... There's two people behind the counter. One, they just, they like, pour rough, milk they on her. up. They pour milk on they, her. They, they grab her and they pour milk on her. One what? person goes, like, reaches behind the counter to hit the buttons on the thing. <laughs> I don't remember seeing them actually take the money out of the register. They just like say, yeah, take it, they take say, the money, take, it, take, take the money. It, but I don't... They, you hit, they hit the buttons. <laughs> you assume that they do. And yeah. yeah, there's this woman behind the counter that they, again, just like dangling the woman off the roof before you assaulted her, the, they wind up killing this old lady anyway, but that's not good Did enough for them. Her? Yeah, they, slay, they cut her throat. Right. Um, but... The um, but first, yeah, they're gonna pour milk on her and butter and like whatever yeah. <laughs> dairy products they can find. They're dumping all over this woman to sort of mess with her before they kill her. And in the gang, the gang is constantly picking up and losing members as it rows around the city. There is a dandy suddenly in this group. There's a guy with like dockers and like a white hat on, and like a blue like he looks dapper he looks like a really natty oh yeah gang member he's the one guy without a bandana like what is he doing here <laughs> like, yeah. he's dressed like 
<laughs> he's like the clockwork orange. He's ready for his or something. He's ready for to duel. Yeah. Well, I don't mean to just change topic, but we missed a scene earlier. Okay. When, um, right after we meet Pete Vance, um, Casalis shows up yeah, with yeah. Pete, and then he sticks a gun in his, one his, of his guys his, sticks a gun in his armpit. His armpit. Like, it Remember? wouldn't have shot him. It, he wouldn't one, have got hit. It was it in would his have, armpit. It would have blown through his shoulder, maybe, and then through his shoulder and into the other guy that they were with. If he, they hold him at gunpoint with the gun, but if he shot that, it would have killed his friend. <laughs> and then, and then after he puts it like under his nose, like this. Yeah. Or like, as if like smell it, smell it. They don't know guess how where to, it's been. Smell this gun. It, it would kill you if I shot you with it. <laughs> yeah, the angle of the armpit thing. Like you could kill someone shooting the armpit if you went straight yeah. in because there's lungs in there, there's heart. But, but not, the angle that he's at, it's not. It's so that we can a see it. Because otherwise. His shoulder would be covering it, and we wouldn't be able to see it. But it also makes it make no sense. <laughs> True. Yeah. Back to so they're about to kill the guy behind the counter, right? Yeah. They they all leave. With yeah, this they guy leave, and out. the one guy goes back because he forgot something. No, I think he just wants to kill no, the guy. No, the the guy is about to yell. He's yelling for oh, cops. Yeah. He's like, "I'm gonna call he the goes, cops." You. The guy he comes said, up and he's like, "What did you, he say?" You tell the cops. I'll, I'll, I'll slit your throat or something. It's, it's it really weak. Funnier than Whatever that. he says is but really he weak. Do a good performance of it, so it just comes off really funny. And the executioner gets this guy, and drops a, <laughs> knocks him out, and drops a grenade down his pant leg. And, and what the executioner comes up behind him, he pistol whips him, and he goes, "Asshole, bastard!" Like, yeah, he's always it's such a weird combination of talks, insults. I don't understand. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen maggots. Mike, and he's like a crazy person. So we see him after. Yeah, he's like punks and maggots. He's justice like, oh, for you. Like, <laughs> which again is not how Mike talks when he's on his own little side mission of retribution against the garage. Yeah, he's punks. Like, all the way, all the way. Well, all the way. yeah, all we'll the come way. to we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get but, to that. but he's not. It's so shoddy. Um. Let's see, Dapper Punk. It cuts back to Laura and Kitty after this. Yeah, this is when the the, the scene, clip you played the happens. Clip you played with. Oh, I hate these foreign languages. <laughs> well, that's coming. That's coming up. Oh, yet. is there something before that? According to my notes, anyway, because um, the the punk with the mustache is Dan. Um, oh, is yeah, going yeah. back to break into the garage again. What they want from the inside of this garage, oh, or maybe right it's in... just revenge he wants against Mike. Yeah, um, I didn't write anything for that. Whole and thing Mike so. is having Nam flashbacks, which, and it's such an insulting, over the top, oh yeah, like representation of what PTSD. I mean, I don't know if PTSD was even a term in 1984 yet, or if it was still shell shock or what. But he's having. Nam flashbacks and PTSD in this movie are represented by spinning around in a circle. And shouting random things. <laughs> yeah, and it's incited by nothing. Like, he'll just be sitting there, and then he'll just go, Doo! And then yeah, he'll like, start spinning around like crazy. And usually like, when PTSD is used as a plot point, there's usually, like, a trigger. Yeah, like, a loud sound plays, and they're like, gunshots. But he's just, like, he just goes off. And he's <laughs> only ever going off unless he's talking to Mike, except for that or one unless scene. he's talking to Raj. Raj, that's what I meant. Who's Mike? He's Mike. Mike is him. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it always needs a trigger or not, but he's definitely yeah, like, in, he's in just, movies. He's just yeah, he's just sitting around the garage and just yeah, and it's it's just a it's a way over the top, goofy representation of a very serious thing, which I suppose is to be expected in 1984. But it's yeah, so yeah, it's just him. Hey, all the way, I'm on my own. Uh, get get the man, like Sarge, Sarge. Charlie's in the trees, that whole business. Yeah. Like, as he's just spinning around and really being a goofball. Um, and then Dan is in his garage, and then they have a fight scene in the worst fight scene set piece they could have chosen, which is, like, two cars in a garage, which they, like, flip over, kind of. And then it's just, it's not that fun, and they didn't know how to shoot it. Like... Yeah, and he winds up shutting Dan's head, the punk's yeah, head, yeah, in the yeah. door and That's holding it. That's something at least. But again, this You're is breaking another... my neck. You're breaking... You're breaking my neck. Yeah, he's holding... So he I'm, obviously, I'm not, because you can speak. You can breathe. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's sort of pinning in there in the door to hold him and to ask him information of, like, you know... Who does here? number two work for? That business. Um, but again, this is another reason that I thought, well, he's not the executioner. Because why kill him that's what he's not killing this guy he's going way out of his way to not kill this guy and then he he gives up information real easy like he's not like loyal at all he's just like oh it's gazales he puts his head in the door for two seconds and he's like here's the full name and address of my employer and then it's like jesus (laughs) you're the worst number two i've ever seen yeah (laughs) well he's like number three vance is number two oh yeah um i guess (laughs) Then we have the scene that I played the clip from at the beginning, which is O'Malley's daughter, Laura, and her friend, Kitty, sitting around. And this girl, Kitty, is psychotic. She's so weird. I don't understand. She can't stop laughing. What is so funny? I don't don't get it. And I thought maybe it's supposed to be, maybe it's a goofy portrayal of like, oh, this, hey, don't do weed because this is what you look like. But it's not that because she's that way in every scene at all times. Yeah, I wrote... At some point that the writer of this movie has never met anyone who does drugs. Ever. Because, <laughs> like, they don't even, they don't know what drugs do. They don't know what drugs do. They're supposed to be smoking weed, kind of, except Kitty mentions coke. They always say dope. And then, like, but, like, they're always, like, ooh, like they've been, like, roofied. When most of the well, time it seems later, like it, later she does kind of get roofied. Kind of. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but yeah, but Kitty is just an all over the like, place. What is she doing? Loud, constantly laughing <laughs> at her own something. Everything she says <laughs> to laughing, herself. Laughing at something. And it's such a bananas but performance. What would the movie be without her, to be honest? <laughs> Where would the fun be? <laughs> I guess. Um, then we have. Roger O'Malley driving down the street, and he is looking at a, a a blonde lady who's dressed very fancy and stands out on the streets of L.A. And he follows her for quite a while, for no reason. Who is this woman? Because you think he's following her, like maybe he's a creep secretly. Maybe she's gonna lead him somewhere. Nope. Does the scene just end? I don't remember this. Yeah. I he's I like looking at this woman, it doing a ton of shots of her, but then nothing coming of it. I I'm, thought. The implication was that she was a prostitute, which I probably shouldn't have thought was the implication because she's not 
dress raggedy. But like, like all the other from the way this movie, movie is portrayed, women like yeah. Is there any woman in? Oh yeah, okay. There are a couple of women that are prostitutes. I was about to make a bold claim. <laughs> There's like three or yeah. four. But he's yeah, he's following this woman around, and then he arrives somewhere else that has nothing to do with her. We never see her again. It's just it's it's. I feel like they were filming on the streets of Los Angeles. And they saw this woman and they went, she is way classier than anybody we have. Can we follow you for a couple minutes? Yeah, but can it we serves no purpose yeah. whatsoever. She's not a character in any way. It's just a strange, long sequence for no reason. Um, now we have Mechanic Mike versus the Punks round three because he's got the information. He's going to go... But again, he's not dressing up as executioner. He's not wearing his mask. He has a gun, which he refuses to use on anyone. He'll point it at people. And then be like, get out. I think he does shoot Dan. He shoots Dan and him. Dan shoots him first. And then he's like, maybe I should have used this. Or like, it doesn't hit. Well, he he pushes Dan down the stairs. Yeah, that happens. (laughs) After the gunfight. And then he cuts another guy's throat with a broken beer bottle. Yeah. Which, which I guess just there's your M.O. of the glass cutting them shooter. with glass, which is such a part of his thing. They should have said broken bottles. Like, they during, can tell it's a bottle. No, this is the... During this whole sequence is when there is just a stool tied on the wall so that he can conveniently grab it and whack him over the back with it <laughs> before knocking him down This is also the one where there's a guy hiding around the corner, like, ready to, like, jump him. When he when he like goes to go attack Dan, and then he it just doesn't work. Yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff of people hiding over the corner and trying to trip people and it not working. Like earlier in the other fight scene, that happened. He just, just turns back around and punches it. And like the girl gang members, he tell he like tells them like, he lets them go. He tells them to get out. I thought it would have been cool if they came back in and started beating them up. <laughs> like, well, that would be too pro-women for this movie. Yeah, probably. Any sort of agency. <laughs> too empowering. Um, but yeah, he has a gun with him. He is clearly set on, especially since apparently he's the executioner, he's come to kill these men. And at every opportunity he has to use this gun, he puts it away and gets in a fist fight. <laughs> yeah. For Ooh, someone who's supposed to be like a cold-blooded killer who runs around killing people, he sure does love non-lethal methods. Except beer bottles that he happens to find. Like, other than that beer bottle, he's mainly just like... It's like a Yakuza game, basically, where he's just like in the room and then he's like, I gotta grab stuff and then hit people with it. (laughs) It's ridiculous. He's just fist fighting and then grabbing stuff from the wall. But did you... Like, your your MO is shot. You're not in costume... (laughs) I guess the beer bottle counts as cutting people with glass, but you don't shoot anybody. Did you, did you run out of grenades at the Army Surplus store? Or wherever you're getting these from? Did he just bring them back from Nam? Because later he doesn't... He uses a different explosive, because I think he ran out of grenades. Oh, he uses a, a Wiley Coyote bundle of dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, but it threw me off so much that I thought for sure... He's not the executioner because he's not doing any of the executioner's things at the exact moment he should be doing the executioner things. Yeah, I just assumed the movie was bad instead of... Apparently that's the case and I was overthinking it. I just noticed the hat symbolism, so I got it. The symbolism, bro. Yeah, I didn't catch that at (laughs) all. It's really dumb. It's not what symbolism means. 
<laughs> um, so Vince really wants Laura to give to Casalis because she's a virgin. A virgin. But then he's going to, like, be with her first himself. I don't know if he's, like, the guy that ugh, breaks these girls in for Casalis or, or tests them out, test runs like them, gross. or what? Then she wouldn't gross. be a virgin for Casalis. Yeah, so I think maybe it's more he wants her to be a virgin for him. But, and to these girls' credit, he brings Laura in. Yeah. And he's got Laura in the bed with these, his two, like, regular he's girls. he's drugged her. Yeah, and he's drugged he, her. And these girls are like... Hey, asshole, she's A, too young, and B, you've drugged her, knock it off. And they start, like, slapping yeah, her so that these, she can get like, away. So these girls are these the heroes of the movie. Great. They're like, <laughs> I, I, when did he drug her, too? Like, like he comes up and he's like, he, like, taps her on the arm and is like, well, consider that a, a gift. Uh, friends? And, like, but they they show scenes of them, like, drugging people with their EpiPens. Yeah, he says, I have a gift for you, which you assume And then he drugs. taps her on the arm. But, like, you don't see him, like, he doesn't, if he tapped her on the arm and he had the, like, thing that they inject people with, but he doesn't. So he just taps her and then she's like, <laughs> yeah, and then it smash cuts to him throwing her on the bed. Yeah, I guess we don't see it. I would assume that he he gave her a drink that he had drugged or he laced the weed he gave her with something. Uh, who knows? But this is when I wrote, has she tried getting a normal job? Because we haven't seen her make any efforts to get a normal job. Like, they don't mention it or anything. She's not like, well, I got fired from my waitressing job and nobody, nowhere else will hire me. Because then it would be more like, oh, yeah, so she She's is... forced because... She is being driven into prostitution for this. But, like... It's just like, she's... It's peer... It's like a message on peer pressure. But, like... Of. Into prostitution. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, I think the moral... Moralizing of the story, you know, is... This is what drug addiction will do to you without actually putting any the thought, moral in, is, the thought into it or getting into the details of how someone would, would get that way. Yeah, there is no talk of, like, why what, does she have no other options for choice. money? Yeah. And this is desperation purely. Yeah, the, the moral is uh, Kitty's line, once you're on drugs, that's all it is, and you're screwed. Which was weird when she said that. <laughs> well, she's the main <laughs> proponent of doing drugs, so I don't know. If yeah, she's, she's the problem. <laughs> Her and that other prostitute have a conversation with Laura where they just constantly talk over each other. Like, I don't remember when it It was right outside when they were about to, to bring her to Vance's. Is the other prostitute who's like, yeah, he burns me with cigarettes. And then Kitty, they talk to Laura... But then, like, like at the same time. Kitty will be talking about something, and then the other girl will just, like, talk over her. And it's like, why are you shooting it like this? <laughs> yeah, there's the older prostitute lady who's kind of the wiser one who's trying to give her advice and telling her, like, you don't want to do this. This is no life Don't go with the, you. That, that tattoo man. Watch out for him. Yeah. yeah I'm not, him. but you should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I got kids to feed. That's what she says. Mike is, so yeah, so Laura gets away from Vance thanks to these other two girls who aren't going to let him behave that way, which is reasonable. Reasonable, but also surprising for this movie and good for them. Mike, or not Mike, um, I always want to say Mike O'Malley because it's such alliteration, but Mike's the other guy. Roger O'Malley, the the cop, is driving around in his car with an unlit cigar. And it's a long montage of him driving around with this long green cigar that he yeah. has not lit. He's that just holding it in his mouth. 
Every cigarette and cigar in this movie is like two times the length of modern day cigarettes <laughs> and cigars. Um, and he doesn't light it until he, because he stops to talk to that older prostitute to try to get information from her. Um, and then he lights it. So I don't know why it wasn't lit already as he's driving around town with it in his mouth. But yeah, he should take it out when he's talking to her. It's just an intimidation tactic, I guess. I look cool with this cigarette in my mouth. I'm a a cop. I don't know, man. (laughs) Um, So now Vance takes his virgin back. He's got to get her back. He goes, her and Kitty are hanging out by the pool. You let my virgin get away, was what he said. (laughs) Yeah, gross. Um, Kitty and Laura are hanging out by the pool. They're going to leave to go somewhere. And while Kitty is grabbing something around the house, Vance pulls up and grabs Laura and takes her away. Um, I just want to point out because we kind of skipped over all the scenes of like Pete or Casalis like with the women, uh, but we mentioned that he rips their shirts, but the the women are always so uninterested. The women are not into it. Like at one point, well, there's a, yeah. she's like, "Oh, baby, yeah, that's the stuff." But like she, she just, just says, says it like, like that. Like that. <laughs> like, oh, and her face, her face is like completely blank. She's like, this is awesome. <laughs> well, that's more. I don't know that that's a character choice more than yeah, that's, an that's act, the yeah. only act <laughs> ability you have as an actor is to deadpan every line you have. Um, but yeah, he's got that real weird. Because like these aren't women he's forcing himself on. These are women who are there by he's paid them choice. This is the They've job been paid they or they work for him or whatever. These ones, not and he's Laura. still yeah. cutting and or tearing their clothes very purposefully Weekly. and very specifically, which I guess is a power play or something. But it's like now they have to buy new clothes. And yeah. He doesn't put much power into it. Like it's always like really weak the no, way he does it. There's one where like. <laughs> He's with the girl, and then he tears her clothes, and then it cuts to the next time he's with the same girl, and she's in a new shirt, and then he rips that one, too. It's like the next day, for no reason. <laughs> and it's like, just rip her whole closet. Just get oh, it over see, Speaking with. of repeating stuff, in some of the fights and like in a bunch of scenes, it'll cut to a different shot, and the same thing will happen again. Oh, yeah. Like, the matter. shot will change, but the action will repeat. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they just didn't know how to cut it, I guess. But, um... Yeah, and it's not like he's ripping their clothes completely off. He's just, like, tearing it at the shoulder. (laughs) And he goes in for a little shoulder kiss. I broke your shirt. (laughs) It's so... It feels like a prank. So weird. (laughs) Yeah, you got punked. Yeah, yeah, I buy a new shirt. Stupid. Speaking of clothes, I want to slip in that Laura's outfits are really good. Like, I love Laura's fashion in this movie. I don't know why... Her, like, like, 80s shirt... I noticed it when she came down for the next scene where she comes down to say, tell Raj, her dad, that she's going to bed and that she loves him. Or she was going to be like, I, um, I was just doing prostitute stuff and I feel bad about it. But then she like stops. I'm being forced into Which is actually surprisingly a nice character moment for some reason. Like she comes down and she's like scared to tell him what happened. And they very clearly have like an open relationship where they talk but then she chooses not to because she's too scared and it's like actually kind of good (laughs) one scene is well written (laughs) like i thought it was pretty okay like they're doing something here at least yeah because the rest of the movie you would gather that mike barely remembers that or 
Roger barely remembers that he has a daughter because he's never home. He's never... Yeah, he calls her at the beginning, but then otherwise he's just so focused on his work that he's actively not doing. the executioner. He's talking about how he has to catch the executioner, but being I will very nonchalant about it, like, eh, we'll catch him. It's fine. <laughs> but you... We'll so him. you're into... So because she, she has, like, a baggy shirt? Like what? Yeah, she has a nice, like... Nightgown, I guess, in that scene, and then every other scene after. She's got her eighties shirt. Like she's got like, in the next scene, she's well. I guess that was with Vance. She's got like this. It looks like those paper cups. With the eighties design. The eighties design paper cups. I don't know how to describe it. What the eighties thing? Oh, with like orange and red sort of. Yeah, like random lines. It looks like I know what you mean. A white arcade floor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, fashion watch from Brandon Lambert. Wasn't expecting. I just thought it was cool. Um. Yeah, so Laura's been kidnapped again. Kitty runs to a payphone, tries to call O'Malley. Conveniently, two seconds prior to this, O'Malley has told someone at the switchboard, hold all my calls, I'm busy. So she can't get through. Um, oh, and when... Well, did we mention Laura get, got kidnapped? Yeah, Vance came okay, and Okay, yeah, Laura got kidnapped. Yeah. And she just watches. Well, She hides behind a dumpster. Kitty will lose her job her own yeah, way to get yeah. drugs if she intervenes so she's just like scared and then calls the cops well and also vance is not a guy to be trifled with he will rip your shirt yeah yeah he'll totally rip Watch your out. shirt he'll rip your shirt you'll have to buy a new <laughs> shirt and that's insane and she was um, only in a swimsuit so he'd rip her swimsuit and she'd and be so good and she public. doesn't even have pantyhose on under it so what's yeah. she gonna do um so then she calls the news station because everyone there's been a bunch of scenes out the movie of Celia, this weird reporter with a weird accent, and Roger O'Malley hanging out and discussing, the, and it doesn't really come to anything, but there's lots of little scenes throughout of them getting to know each other and discussing the case. Everyone apparently knows that Celia's on, on the case, because Kitty calls the news station, asks KBG for Kitty, TV. KGB, nope, KBG, because it's not the KGB. Right. KBG TV <laughs> in Los Angeles, wants to talk to... First off, I don't think you can just call up the news station and they'll put you through to their big reporter. Or yeah. the police. Number two, <laughs> when they tell you she's not in the office right now and you say, okay, can I have her personal number? They hang up on you. Yeah. They don't give you her personal number. Some stranger just called the news station and you just gave out your reporter's personal phone number. To Especially when you're treating them like the police. They're not the police. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, I thought... That they weren't actually called KBG TV. I thought that at the beginning, the angry detective guy was calling them communists. Like, you're the KGB TV. Um, and no. that would have been clever, but no. No. That was just me filling in the blanks. <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, or God, Mike, I'm, I'm always one Mike O'Malley, because it works. <laughs> Their names are dumb. Roger. Roger O'Malley, the police detective. Um, the reason he can't take any calls is because there's been a break in the case. They got fingerprints off the broken beer bottle that Mike used <laughs> to kill um, in his role as not the executioner. The other, these other punks at yes. their place. And the fingerprints match um, prints that Mike had? That Roger got on. Off, yeah, off the shot glass he stole from Mike. Yeah, he stole a shot glass from Mike's garage. Which he didn't notice. I wasn't or from the when they're at the restaurant. All. They're at the dancing the dancing bar or club or whatever, and they have a whole conversation about, 
oh, this town used to be so nice. Remember that? The theater. That old theater that's abandoned now. It was such a great theater to go to. Man, I miss that theater. It would be, it would be, like, it would be a good spot for criminals. It's like something he says. Right after that scene is when Mike goes to a criminal den. So I assumed that, like, he's going to the theater because they had the conversation and he pieced together that there could be criminals there and he's going to go kill them. But no, that's completely separate. He also just happens to know where the criminal gang is, but then alludes to the detective that the criminal gang is somewhere completely different. Raj takes the shot glass when Mike offers him a drink and he's like, no, I'm a cop on duty right now. And he's like, they wouldn't notice. The commissioner's not going to breathalyze you. (laughs) Also... The drinks in this movie, in most scenes, whenever anyone has a drink, they have this really tall glass full of an unspecified, just brown liquid. Like, I assume it's Coke, but they never, like, say anything, and they've all, they're always, like, Kitty's drinking it at the pool with Laura, Celia's drinking it at the bar, like, they all have this tall glass of just brown liquid, and it's like, what are they drinking? <laughs> yeah, you would hope that a, you're not having a whi- uh, that tall of a whiskey. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of whiskey. To, um... But yeah, so now he's got, from that shot glass or whatever, he's gotten fingerprints of Rogers. They match the fingerprints on the um, broken glass bottle. And so now he's on to the fact that... Mike is the executioner. I guess Mike the mechanic is the executioner. But again, I thought it was (laughs) a storytelling thing. That he's going to be... He's he's a copycat of part one. He's going to have to chase his his friend down... Who has committed murder, who has committed a vigilante act, yeah. but not the ones they're trying to get him for. And then maybe it's a whole thing where maybe he kills Mike and then learns that, oh, he wasn't the executioner because the real executioner is right over there. Or something. Wouldn't Anything. that be cool? It's like, this is part two, and it's like Friday the 13th part like three, right? Which everyone has the copycat. I think one of them had a copycat. Uh, five. Five. Five? Okay. Yep. Who knows? I didn't watch that far, so I don't know why I know this. Because at the end of four, <laughs> Jason dies, and then five, it's an imposter, and yeah, then okay. six, Jason comes back. Yeah, it would be like that. Like, part one had the real executioner, but no, it's just, there was no part one. Anything interesting you can think of, it's not that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been something, but it's the most... It's a lot like when uh, Carrie and I did the episode on the the Hollywood movie, and your brain is telling you it can't be as simple as this woman is a ghost because they've been telling us from the beginning his friends think she's a ghost so the twist has to be that like she's not and that's but no she just is and so it's it's the anti-twist it's not a twist at all it's yeah it's exactly what we're presenting you as information and you're overthinking it because it can't be this dumb <laughs> i don't i don't think anyone could blame you for not realizing he was the executioner because of the hat because they that, never like really established anything stupid. in this movie <laughs> well because he is wearing around his neck um like a like a kerchief yeah the camouflage bandana that the executioner wears over his face, but I thought that would just be like a red herring or some kind of... Wouldn't you like to believe so? (laughs) But the fact that he would go and do executioner things but not be the executioner when he's doing it I guess throws the whole thing off. I guess it's so you know it's him that's the executioner. Like, that's how they're trying to show you that it's him. They didn't need to keep it a secret in the first place then. Why does he wear the goofy mask at the beginning if he's not going to be secretive about it for the rest of the movie? Or when he goes and takes out Dan in the den of punks, have him 
wearing the mask, so you think it's just the executioner coming in. And then at the end of the scene, after he's killed everybody, he pulls his mask up so that we, the audience, can see, oh, shit, and it's Mike the Mechanic. Don't give us as many hints with his outfit at the beginning. Because the idea that he goes and he kills people in this bandana and hat, and then also just... And that's his disguise. And then just when he's working his mechanic job, he just also has that bandana and hat on, just not up on his face. Is It's ridiculous. that That's his disguise, but it's also his normal attire. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's not much. It would be like if Bruce Wayne, he didn't wear the whole deal, but he wore a cape all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he has the cowl put down while he's not yeah. Batman. It would be like if Superman put on glasses. Sure. <laughs> but didn't change into an outfit. It's, I mean, and again, maybe it's just me giving it, trying to give a film too much credit and anticipating a mystery when there isn't one, but I, I always felt like the pieces are here for a mystery or some kind of twist, and then there just isn't. Where were we in the movie, though? Um, um, Ra- uh, Ralph. Roger has discovered that... His friend Mike yeah. is the executioner. He goes to meet him at the garage to sort of give him a head start. Like, the police are about to be on to you. You have eight hours. And now here's where Mike has another PTSD flip out where he's yelling. He's con- This is the most entertaining one. Well, he's putting the gun in his own mouth and he's got, like, huge eyes and he's yelling at... This is when he's like... What does he say? All the way! All the way! All the way! All the way. <laughs> Why is he saying that? Is yeah. that a Vietnam thing? Probably. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, like we had to take it all the way and we could have won instead of backing out. And, yeah. But um, he sounds a lot like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator with the way of the future, way of the future. Like the way he's repeating it over and over. Um, yeah, he's just flipping out and he's yelling stuff and he's like, you know, who gave the orders? Who was in charge? Blah, like, blah, blah. Like, like, he implies that the U.S. government was like, at fault for Vietnam, which is like pretty smart. That's for, pretty like, progressive. Because he's like, were we the bad guys or were the people who gave us the orders the bad guys? And it's like they're trying to do an interesting. They're trying to Nuremberg Vietnam, it. but then. <laughs> well, and there, there's like a lot of that going on. Because I mean, by '84, Vietnam's not still like a super fresh wound in the American sort of psyche, but it's it's there, and we are sort of figuring out that like. Oh, there's a lot of homelessness attached with veterans of this and, and PTSD and all of that nobody stuff. Nobody liked them because we lost. But um, this isn't the way to, to handle it. And it's, <laughs> it's certainly poorly done. <laughs> and because um, we also, because Roger also has flashbacks, but they're very like he's sitting at his desk and like closes his eyes and he gets a little flashback. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's not Someone flipping died. out. He just sits there like nothing happens. He sees someone with blood coming out of their mouth, and he's like, "Help me!" Yeah, yeah, that. Happens. So he has it. It is a trauma for him as well, but not to the extent it hasn't he's, broken his brain the way that it has. It could be a cool duality in a good movie: is that they both have the same trauma, but he's like handling it well, and he's going around killing people. Yeah, but we only get him ha- having that one little flashback, and otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't know he was even in the war at all. Yeah, so. yeah. I didn't. I was like, "Oh, he was in the war too." Like they, they, they were in the war together. <laughs> I didn't know that until that point. Yeah. And during the freakout, he's like, "We're back now. We're safe." Yeah. And he's like, "No, we're not back. There's still crime in the streets." 
I'm gonna talk it out. I'm back, but I'm not home. That's what he says. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just like it's actually a pretty cool. good line. That's but fine. He's not. Um, like, that's good. <laughs> yeah, Roger's trying to talk him down, and he realizes that, that he can't. He's too far gone, but he can't just take his friend in. So he tells him like, "You have eight hours. Go get out of the city before like, they before they come for you." Um, which he does not do. He goes to yeah. hide out at that old theater that they were talking about. The place that he loves that's so much, after. I guess. That's after he that's, goes. Yeah, after. Yeah, it's a little later, yeah. Which we need to mention, I don't know if there was before or after, but uh, like it's either right now that Celia is kidnapped. Yeah, that's my yeah. next okay, note. Cool. Actually, it's three a three-hour head start, not eight-hour, three head start. Oh, it's three hours? I thought it was 12 eight hours No, yeah, he says three-hour head start. Um, yeah, Celia the reporter finally gets the message, the answer she message from kitty that laura has been kidnapped and it's it's casalis and vance that have done it and she calls mike just in time to get kidnapped herself one of casalis's why she called comes mike? in she called mike to tell him that his daughter has been kidnapped roger Roger, okay. damn it. Okay, no, I was confused. No, but that's but, the thing. But Mike picks up, doesn't he? Yeah, she doesn't call Roger to tell him his daughter is It's like she have. knew Roger was at Mike's garage, so she calls Mike's garage. But so he's that, not. But he's not. But And she had no way to know that. Which makes me wonder <laughs> if she knew he was the executioner and is now sending the executioner to go rescue... But when would she have figured that out? <laughs> Even Unknown. There's, there's no remote <laughs> hint about that. Unknown. But in, yes, instead of calling Roger, see, that was me mixing the names up again. But instead of calling Roger and saying, hey, police detective or some sort of police officer, your daughter's been kidnapped. Here's where she probably is. Hey, she does not guy. call Roger. She calls Mike, the mechanic, who she vaguely knows from being friends with Roger. So unless she knows he's executioner, there's no reason. No reason to call him whatsoever. But she does, and uh-huh. so that puts him on the puts him on the case and then she is kidnapped she's By injected classic evil turtleneck man <laughs> yes with who a, didn't appear with before now strap and everything he's the assassin that casalis hired to kill oh, her because she's part of the media or something <laughs> which again he, oh yeah he says get a girl get a guy on that reporter at yeah. some point yeah and he could have just walked in and shot her garroted her stabbed yeah, her thrown easy. her off a roof but you he know, doesn't he kidnaps her we need another weird kind of rape scene and kidnapping with like, no ransom. Because, <laughs> like, he's ripping at her clothes, too. Yeah, it's like the... This movie has some of the least graphic depictions of rape ever. Like, well, there's probably person like the CW. Like, it never gets, like, followed through on, which is yeah. good. It's always, like, yeah, the beginning stages I'd rather of not attempted watch. rape. Yeah, nobody wants to watch that. But, but sometimes it's like, why? Why aren't they going through with it? Like, they're evil. It would make sense for them to continue at this point. But then they just usually don't. Well, or they're stopped, or... I mean, the question is more, why didn't the movie go through with it? Because it's exactly the yeah. kind of movie that would do that sort of thing. Yeah. But, Gross, but yeah. Um, but yeah, why not just kill her here in her apartment instead of kidnapping her? Bringing her to a whole new place with decorated with a sword. <laughs> yes, just putting tied her... tied up with a rope and a wall on the wall. That's actually... I was surprised that there was foreshadowing. Like, it keeps panning to that sword being on the wall. And I'm like, oh, it's weird that there's a katana on the wall. That's weird. I wrote, if they don't use the wall katana, and then two notes later wrote, wall katana, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Chekhov's katana. Um, yeah, so she's been kidnapped. 
Casalis and Vance now have Laura. Laura, and he is threatening her. Well, he's burning it with cigarettes, which is so he's because he's like a real like sadist. And he does it real weird. He, he it's a terrible off, makeup job. He gets off on pain, our pain. That's yeah. What, yeah, yeah, that's what he's burning with cigarettes, about. but he's also threatening her with not a knife. Did you notice this? It's like an apple corer. Yeah, it's like a potato peeler. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird, yeah. I don't know. Like, that's the cover of the movie on Amazon, too. It's her laying there Not with... Not the cover, but, like, the... Yeah, the... Splash page. The splash image is her laying yeah. there with cigarette burns and a, the potato peeler. <laughs> Such a weird... Yeah, it's like an apple corer Like, they have a knife prop. Thing. That other guy had a knife in the earlier scene. They could have just reused that knife prop. I don't understand. It feels like they purposely don't want to reuse props in this movie. Like, they could have just reused the same grenade prop at the end, but then they don't. Or they, they do got to dynamite. set that day and went, oh, shit, we're dinner on a knife. What's around? We got the <laughs> knife at home. <laughs> Find whatever's laying in the kitchen. It's a potato peeler. And then... Or maybe it's supposed to be a signal that, like, this guy's real weird. His knife's not good enough for him. He's going to peel with a waffle iron. <laughs> at the... Um, before he gets Laura on the bed, he goes to the pillow and he checks it for, like, 20 seconds. He stays at the pillow and he taps the bottom of the pillow over and over. He's trying to make sure it's comfy for her. Or something. No, it's just, it's, there's no real purpose of it. He just, I just noticed that he goes up to the pillow and he like lifts it, lifts it, lifts it. And then he just does that and then nothing comes of it. He wants it to be comfy for his, the victim no, he's he about doesn't. to rape, I guess. He's very considerate. He wants her to feel pain, but the pillow needs to be comfortable. I don't understand. <laughs> Who knows, man? It's another... Mystery that cannot be solved. We just had to ask. So now Mike has arrived to save her. Yeah, he's running down the hall. Again, not in execution or costume. It was just those first two little things at the beginning. Um, this is... And this is when he's running down the halls. All the way. All the way. All yeah. the way. All the way. All the way. This is around the time we paused so Logan could go to the bathroom. And we noticed there's nine minutes left of the movie. And, I and wrote, we were like, oh, there's nine I minutes? Wrote, nine minutes left? Nothing's happened. <laughs> It doesn't feel like it's time for the climax because it just doesn't feel deserved. Maybe I was just tired, but it didn't... It felt like this is not the end of the movie. Uh, it is, though. It's going to happen, hour it's gonna happen real fast. The not-rated version is also six minutes shorter. That's weird. You'd think it would be longer. Yeah. Maybe it so has... We, but we both, we both watched we will, the Yeah, R-rated. we all watched the R-rated version. Okay. I just watched several ones longer. Because um, I don't want to miss the scenes. So... Yeah, Mike uh, arrives, he interrupts Vance and Casalis from, well, I mean, they've, Laura's already been horribly abused with cigarettes and things like that, but um, in time to save her life, he pushes Vance onto a sofa, and Vance lays moaning and clutching his back as if he's just been dropkicked by a pro wrestler. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't know what he did to him. He literally pushes him onto a comfortable looking couch yeah, and he's and like he's oh! oh and he's incapacitated <laughs> for the next 2 minutes so that Casalis can fight Mike on his own. It reminds me a lot of <laughs> Attack of the Clones, Star Wars episode 2, where you have two badass Jedi who, for the purposes of now Yoda has to fight on screen, get little cuts on their arms and pass out for ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very similar vibe to that. And I don't know... How does Laura know that Celia is there? 
Because she's yelling, help Celia. Help Celia. Good we, question. How does she know? We don't see her. See she her. has no way to know that Celia is in the building. I, I mean, presumably <laughs> she saw her brought in and we just didn't see that Celia scene. Celia might have yelled and he was like, wait, that's the reporter. Who she knows? Was like, yeah. But also the way that she performs it, when she first says it, I thought she was not telling Mike to like leave me and go help Cecilia. I thought she was calling to Cecilia for help. Oh. Like, help Cecilia. The help, woman tied comma, up. Like, Jesus. Cecilia. <laughs> like Mike's right there. Why I think it's you... just Celia, which <laughs> the guy who's running around killing people and he came in here asked Cecilia for it. No. It's yeah. And he so he gets Laura not out safe, but he has picks her so up. So Vance weird. has been incapacitated completely on the sofa. I guess. Um there's a fist fight, he knocks Casalis out, sort of. He's kind of like hunched down on the floor. And then he pulls out its six gigantic sticks of gray dynamite duct taped <laughs> together. The, the only thing to make it not a cartoon is that it's not red. Like, yeah. <laughs> and lights it. Wrong. He lights it <laughs> like it's going to hit the dynamite because it's the fuse is folded over itself over the top of it. So it, the fuse is going to hit it before it gets to the end. It's going to hit the dynamite and explode wrong. Yeah, that could be. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it works exactly, but that's what it seemed like. I mean, Casalis must be way out of it because this dynamite is sitting a foot away from <laughs> it's him. It's like he right could, next to him. He could reach over and <laughs> he might as well throw it out of the window. I'm confused. Why didn't he put it in his clothes? Well, that's true. That yeah, that would have fit his MO. Yeah, because it's not a grenade, I guess. And Did then blow up the whole building after the week? exact same explosion effect, it cuts back to Celia. Like. Yeah, killing the guy with the katana. Well, it had, no, it's before because this blow it does blow up the entire yeah. building. Okay. But yeah, yeah, Celia escapes the um, her assassin kidnapper torture or whatever she's by taking the katana, the katana down off the wall, and but she's not the one who kills him. She stabs him, and then Mike runs in and like drop kicks him to death. Let yeah, her that's do true. something. <laughs> like like he punches the sword that he's holding like in between his armpit. Obviously, you can tell. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, he punches it to, like, drive it deeper into him. That also happens when Mike gets stabbed in the shoulders. He's very clearly just laying on it. And he <laughs> takes it out from underneath him. It's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, all the blood in this movie has no exit wound. <laughs> they just, just have blood on them. No, when he slices it. that lady's throat at the, uh, at the convenience store earlier on, it's just, like, they just there's just red stuff it. on her neck. Yeah. There's no sort of wound. I actually whatsoever. thought they were rubbing ketchup on her. Yeah. Like no. they are like rubbing her with the, I didn't realize that they cut the male person behind the counter in that scene, and I actually thought they put ketchup on him, and then they were just gonna go kill him. After like they just pranked him, because <laughs> I didn't. I guess I missed them killing the woman, so I thought they were just still putting food on people. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's all very weird. So yeah. So Mike rescues Laura and Cecilia Celia just in time and we get the same kablamo yeah, um, effect the same exact stock one. footage of a up close <laughs> fireball yeah. and now the commission is saying the executioner got away and he took out he's so half funny a city block scene. from this building he's great in this scene the commissioner <laughs> he's like <laughs> and then Raj is like we're gonna get him and he's like how We'll get him. We'll get him. How? Yeah, he keeps <laughs> saying how. <laughs> he goes, we'll get him. Um, then he goes to get him. 
yes, now we have the showdown at the theater. Roger is, has tracked Mike down there. They get up to the roof. They this, have more discussion. I want to talk about the theater set because it seems like they're going to do something really interesting with the theater set. Roger comes in. Mike is up there. Roger's like coming up. He goes onto the stage. It's like actually a bit of a cool shot. The curtain raises, but then Mike is just on the roof. So like they just meet just, on the roof. They could have done a really cool thing with the theater set, and it felt like they were going to, because it would have been a cool action scene like a set shot, piece. set piece for their final confrontation. But no, they just go on the boring roof. <laughs> it seems like they had that theater rented out for like twenty minutes. Or my <laughs> guess is it was actually an abandoned building that they yeah. managed to get into. Yeah, there could have been like a shootout between the it aisles of seats and they're ducking and weaving. Really but... cool. No. no. No, they just go to the roof and then he hides behind a barrel. <laughs> yeah, he's hiding, he's hiding behind a barrel. It's, he puts his gun away. It's so cartoonish. It's like, yeah, Mike oh, is wait, hiding behind a barrel like, saying? you can't see me. Mike, Mike and Raj both put their guns towards each other and then Mike puts his gun away and then he starts grabbing Raj like, put, put your gun away, Roger. Put your gun away. And then Roger doesn't put the gun away so he hides behind the barrel. He's like, whoa, he didn't put it away. I didn't do it. Yeah, if I just, take my gun, it'll shoot me. He's just peeking his face out, over, his eyes out over the top of his barrel. It's like he's crazy. But like, it, well, he is. In some scenes, he, well, quote yeah. unquote, crazy. Um, it's not really Yeah, and Roger's like, just lets him go. You know, he's like, get out of the city, go. Yeah. Setting up, <laughs> I guess the executioner part five would be next. Yeah. <laughs> Since there was no part one, and this is part two, we can't have a three. They don't want to do even four. Number, odd numbers. And then they. <laughs> the way he runs away is really funny. Like, keeps looking back and going, like, like yeah, putting like, his hands up he's like he's getting him. arrested. Yeah, he's, just he's, like, oh. he's like a block and a half away, and he's still checking to make sure that he's not going to get <laughs> I'm not going to get sniped. Like, like, Roger was just like, no, you go, and then he shoots him down. <laughs> yeah, why would he do that? <laughs> it's like, no. It's like a... He's already given you this same chance already. Why would he just take it back this time? <laughs> and that's the end of the movie, man. Like, and then it's... They and that's when I that's when it dawns on me, oh the movie's over. Wait, so he was the executioner. <laughs> like it's at that moment as credits start rolling You're like, that oh, I realized the monumental failure. The shortest of the credits ever. This there's twenty people in this credits. I didn't count, but it's roughly twenty people. Like the credits well, are like thirty like ten seconds. Before they the just, credits. <laughs> yeah. Before the credits, there's a news report and they're like Crime has completely stopped because of the executioner. But now the executioner now, has left. Will crime come back? And it's like, well, if the news is saying the police didn't catch the executioner, then that doesn't quell the commissioner's rage. The commissioner is still going to be like, yeah, what's well, O'Malley's you it up, arc? Roger. What ends O'Malley's arc here? Like, O'Malley lets him go. <laughs> he doesn't of, catch the executioner. We never thought O'Malley was going to catch the executioner. He's never been like, uh, it's a struggle between me helping my friend and doing my job and true justice. He's always just been on the executioner's side, and then his boss tells just him to like, do yeah, it. He he's saved like, my daughter. Sure, maybe. <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> yeah, man, it's something. So that's primo stuff from nineteen eighty four. The executioner. We have to find. Uh, I'm glad it was fun, at least. A better or worse movie for you <laughs> next next time, um, but I'm pleased as punch finally have my son's on. And we got an hour 20 minutes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, 
You guys don't really do. You're not much social media kids, no. so you have no really information anything. to share to anyone. Yeah, uh, I'm at Heath Lambert 78. The podcast is at That's So Random P2. Questions, comments, suggestions, and things. There's a email address for the pod, which is That's So Random Pod at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe, and all of that. I will now push the button to see what the film for next week will be. It is Shadow Zone. Shadow Zone. Oh, it's a full moon production. Shadow I haven't seen Zone. that name in a while. What is What's that about? That'll be fun. Shadow Zone from 1990. It is on Tubi only. Is Tubi free? Tubi is free. Tubi is a wonderful resource for garbage. <laughs> oh boy. So of course you had to add it. To it looks like Tubi list. has all of the full This looks movies. like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like a sci-fi horror. Yep, from 1990, a full moon production, so it's probably not great. Certainly low budget, but they made some they made Puppet Master and Demonic Toys and Toy Man and Trancers and a lot of toys. They were a real thing. Well, we talked at the beginning about the direct-to-video market, how it didn't exist in 84. Yeah. In 1990... They had direct-to-VHS, didn't they? Was there no VHS direct? No, VHS was barely even a thing yet in 1984. Like, oh. It was just kind of burgeoning. Um, but Full Moon Studios was the... Like, them and Troma. And Troma was, like, the, the grungier one. But Full Moon was, was like, the direct-to-video studio in the early 90s so oh that might be a fun one we will see so that's your homework for next week everyone shadow zone one word on tubi which is free check out tubi if you don't have it there's a lot of there's a time when it was october and i needed to find horror movies i was just browsing through their selection of horror movies that they have almost exclusively trash direct-to-video movies but um, I stopped browsing when I hit like 10,000 and that was just horror movies. So they have a ton, ton of not quality movies <laughs> at your fingertips. So Shadow Zone for Tubi. That's the movie for next week. Um, yeah. Say goodbye. See ya. Bye. Bye everyone. <laughs>